Good evening and happening now. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Mason Knifer, and you are in the EdTech Situation Room. Good evening, everyone, and to our, our uh, handful of viewers to get, as we get started tonight. We're happy to be back this week to talk about the latest technology news as it relates to educational technology. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the State Virtual School in the lovely state of Montana. And I'm joining tonight um, from Gardner, Montana, which is just north of the main entrance of the Yellowstone National Park. So as you might imagine, rural Montana, occasionally the Wi-Fi is a bit sketchy. So I am only, for those of you watching live or the video archivist, I'm represented by a bouncing green bubble tonight. So uh, luckily my audio is clear and I'll be able to participate um, officially in the discussion. So um, next on to you, Dr. Fryer. Hello, I am West Fryer. <clears throat> I am the father of three who love to stream Netflix, and they have all been asked nicely via text message uh, not to stream for the next hour because last last session, uh, who knows what it was, but we learned that Blab actually continues on even if you've started the show and you drop out. So, yes, the sign of the times. And I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School in Oklahoma City. We had a mock election in our middle division, and I was officially elected president on uh, the Super Monday prior to Super Tuesday. My platform was two additional out-of-uniform days, giving up one of their sit-with-whoever-you-want-at-lunch days. And uh, I have some campaign posters to prove it and the kids were quite humorous in their campaigning for me and i think i won by nine votes i got 103 votes so congratulations all right we're also joined by an impromptu guest ben wilkoff ben tell us about yourself uh my name is ben wilkoff uh my day job is the director of personalized professional learning in denver public schools um and i was just joining because uh i've really started to enjoy the the lab um platform and, uh, you know, this, this is, uh, obviously Wes is, is somebody that I respect a whole bunch and we've done a, a lot of collaborating together over the years. Um, and so happy to participate in any way you might see fit. That is awesome. And we'll, we'll let everybody know we, we're going to do the official press release, but we are going to host the digital sharing conference, the first Friday and Saturday of November. And our keynote speaker is going to be Ben Wilkoff and We've got to get our contract details and everything worked out, but we are super excited about that. And um, Ben, if you do not know, does regular uh, Walking with Ben shows on YouTube. Right? Darren Kropotwa has done some like this and maybe Kevin Honeycutt. But For you years, can, yeah. You can tweet, ask Ben W., and he answers your question. And he actually answered one of my questions uh, here in the last week or so. So, Jason, what do we what we got tonight to start out with? Well, um, I, there's the usual interesting hodgepodge of um, stories. So let's start with the, the one that I want to start with tonight, which I think is a, um, a symbol of a larger discussion that I'm curious to hear the panel's uh, views on. So The Verge reported um, last week that Google is removing ads from the right-hand side of search results um, in preference of advertising in mobile and advertising in um, uh, as part of their ad network on other websites. And there's two things that I think are 
are kind of interesting about this. One's a more generic question that you know, Google revolutionized advertising um, in the uh, web space when they started advertising tiny text-based ads. Um, I guess nearly nearly 20 years ago, and I guess 18 years ago when the, when they came on the scene with a really simplistic um, advertising uh, scheme, which obviously has dominated the internet since. Um, we still there's lots of obnoxious ways that advertising is is demonstrated uh, to users, but I think that's an interesting thing that they're finally moving beyond that, understanding that probably the future of advertising is mobile. Um, I, I want to talk about that issue, but I also um, want to talk a little want to talk a little bit of talk a little bit. Of, about a little bit about advertising as it relates to students and kids, and um, I actually spoke on this topic uh, in in some detail uh, last week at the Northwest Council for Community Education Conference in Seattle, and I was specifically talking about um, understanding the nature of advertising. That um, if you are not paying for something then um, chances are advertising is the easiest way of putting it, but either it's your personal data or your ad profile is being used in a financial scheme to be able to fund, you know, the free web as it exists. And so uh, I'm curious to hear the panel's uh, thoughts on on both the, the switch, which is obviously a sign that mobile is starting to dominate uh, Google's views, and then secondarily, um, the role of advertising as it relates to the many, many, many tools that we expose our students to on a regular basis. And if, uh, for those of you that don't know, those of you that don't know, I'm getting a little, getting a little feedback. I'm hearing myself in an echo. Oh, you know what? I bet it's myself. Do I have myself open twice? Yeah, I did. Tip for tip for safety: don't open two blab windows, <clears throat> or you'll confuse yourself. Um, if you want to see these links, you can go to edtechsr.com and click the links, and that's where we've got our Google Doc. So. We're, we're in the midst of a digital citizenship study, or, well, not study, a project at school. Uh, we're bringing Carl Hooker to our school. He's the, the mastermind behind, uh, iPad Palooza, and he's the tech director in Eans ISD, and he's, uh, he presented at South by Southwest year before last on, uh, sort of, what was it called? Raised by the, raised by Siri, you know, parenting in the digital age. There's all these different things. We've just surveyed all of our uh, upper division and middle division students about, you know, tools and apps that they use. Um, there's a whole landscape of things that are happening. One of those topics is the idea that that when it comes to privacy and when it comes to, you know, internet marketing, you, you know, you we are the product basically. And I think I don't know if we I think we've talked about this on the show that's you know some adults are more freaky about that than kids, and kids are kind of the meh. You know, so what? You know, not really that concerned and that worried about it. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've been listening to the podcast that Jason recommended. Um, the, uh, I'm going to draw a blank on it. What is it, Jason? Note, it's the note to self. Note to self. And they just did an amazing one about this guy who does this fusion, uh, future podcast and it, it he challenged hackers to Basically, <laughs> uh, see what they could do, and it was it was scary um, how they were able to gain access to his life, his bank accounts, all this stuff through active. Um, uh, it wasn't just it wasn't just data. It wasn't just mining stuff or putting malware. It was it was it was uh, you know calling his ISP and pretending to be his wife and having a YouTube video of a crying baby playing in the background. And based on the information that they had, they were able to get full access to his account, which eventually led to full access to his one password account. They got everything. They had his bank account. They had, uh, 
eventually they, they had his webcam going on his phone or I mean on his laptop. <sighs> so I don't think the fear of this is real for most people, but, and it's, and I do not believe in let's lead with fear and let's just scare everybody off the web. Right. But it, we're saying in the podcast, it's a little bit like taking a self-defense course. You know, if you, the, the guy who did the study, the, uh, this, this experiment had, um, and had these people hack, hack into his life. He, his analogy was, it's like if one of us ran into a martial arts specialist on the street, you know, tonight or tomorrow, they could really mess us up. But the chances of that happening are relatively low. So should we walk around in fear? The thing that's different about the landscape and how this links to privacy and what we're sharing and all of this stuff is if any of us share something that, that gets on Reddit or that goes viral on Twitter or if we would choose to you know, take a strong stand on a controversial issue like abortion or the state of Israel or, you know, something like that. <clears throat> we could become the, the targets of a lot of hate really quickly. And <clears throat> if we have been sharing a lot about our stuff and, and we're just, and, and we're open to that, I don't know. There, there's a side to that that involves Advertising, using the free tools, and and not worrying about. So personally, I am not incredibly paranoid, but I'm still listening to people talk about this, and I have an open mind about it. I have friends that are basically dark on the web. Um, some of these folks have worked for the military and other places too. So it's it's something that my mind is not completely made up on, but I definitely acknowledge that we are the product and that there are downsides to it and that right. if so if if I was to make a bad choice and maybe it was just a an in, an unintentional one you know because there's things I don't blog about that I have opinions about uh things could get ugly so i don't know ben that was a long rant what do you think uh so we we talk a lot about internet privacy and and student uh privacy in in Denver public schools um we have a huge advocate uh in our edtech director um uh in Denver public schools uh his name is Kirk Anderson um and he did uh, a fantastic uh FERPA video um which like if you've ever watched like a compliance based FERPA video they're the worst and so like he actually made it's something that, uh, that people wanted to watch and, and wanted to engage in the, in the conversation about. Uh, I agree with you, Wes, that, uh, it has a lot to do with, uh, you being the product, but, um, I would take it one step further in saying that, um, your data should be owned by you and students should own their data as well. And they should be able to, and we should be able to make the transaction, uh, regarding do we want to trade our data? trade our privacy for the access to those tools. Um, in the cases of adults, we can make that decision very easily, right? We can say, yes, this is the, the transaction I want to make. I believe that these tools are important enough that I am willing to give up these specific um, privacies. You know, you can have access to my account. You can uh, serve up ads according to my search engines and things like uh, or my my searches on Google and things like that. Um, but for students, we are having to make that decision on their behalf. And so it's a little more murky as uh, teachers and leaders. Um, can we say with, you know, that we know how the data is going to be used, um, you know, sort of beyond a shadow of a doubt? I, I, I don't know that we can at this point. 
Um, but the one thing that I'm looking at a lot is, uh, so Al Franken, uh, sent a really strong letter to Google asking about their privacy policies. And then Google, uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, shared their response, uh, to Al Franken's letter. And it said exactly how they're using, uh, student data, um, and how it will be used, um, uh, not for advertising, but for, um, you know, but for other things in order to understand their customers better. And that's a part of the agreement that you're signing when you're signing uh, up for, for a, uh, a Google Apps for Education account. And if you're okay with that, then you just say, you know, as a district, you are making the decision for uh, for the students, but you need to have a way for teachers uh, or, excuse me, for parents to be able to opt out of that um, if they don't want to engage in that practice. And it's sort of our responsibility to be very clear with everyone this is why we think this this exchange, this transaction is worth it. Um, and I think to the point of like the article of like removing the um, uh, the actual search uh, results or the the advertising against the search results within the Collapse for Education domain, I think it's a great step forward, and it makes it a lot more clear that there is a different kind of transaction that's happening in the Google Apps for Education domains and those accounts versus, um, you know, when you are just opening a, a regular Google account. So that's that's sort of my my thoughts on it. Um, yeah, so I'm going to actually switch over from mobile because my battery's dying and I'm going to hop on to the, the desktop version. Awesome. Great, we'll see you in a moment. I would add one other thought maybe to the broader perspective. I, I couldn't agree more that, that we need to help students understand um, uh, things in terms of that transaction, right? And the problem that, that I do see is that I don't think all classrooms, schools, districts are um, taking on these responsibilities um, as, as seriously as they should. And I know you mentioned before as the notion of digital citizenship. And I, I think that this the, the list of what becomes digital citizenship does grow pretty uh, <laughs> uh, pretty aggressive every year. And then, you know, something else happens to prove that, you know, everything has changed and technology is disruptive and we have to evolve and change. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that that we do need to be more concretely building in um, you know, discussions about data and, and what your data is used for and that transaction that occurs. And the uh, the way I've been doing that lately with teachers is to say that, and again, I, I couldn't agree more with your earlier comment, Les, that we can't make this about fear, uh, uncertainty, doubt, the, the, that we can't FUD this discussion as, as the Silicon Valley cool kids say, um, we, we can't make that the crux of this because I think that this, this exchange of, of data for advertising or you're the product is going to happen whether we, we want to or not. But I do strongly believe that, that we have to be very cognizant about, uh, you know, what that specifically means. Um, I've been pointing people to the Google history page lately. Um, history.google.com. It's an amazing, uh, uh, a tool that shows you exactly what data is archived in your Google account. I happen to be a super Google person. I carry an Android phone with me. Um, I prefer that for, um, cloud-based storage. I prefer it for my email. I prefer it for a, a lot of, of, of what I do in the world. And, um, you know, I'm comfortable because I knew that those things were happening, but even I was surprised by some of the, the way that Google had started putting together data. Like, for example, um, if you go to the location um, uh, um, 
data that that Google stores on you, especially since I use the GPS app quite a bit, it, it tracks me pretty uh, seriously. But it did does all the cool things for me. Like I was able to go back to 2013. I traveled with a college friend and my wife to Iceland for two weeks. I had a 3G iPad with me the whole two weeks that we carried around with us to use the GPS. And Google tracked all my location during that time. And then it managed to take timestamps and geo uh, stamps on my photos and put them in the, the geographical timeline. So I was able to see I stopped at this waterfall and here's seven pictures that I'd thrown in Google Photos. Um, you know, Google Photos didn't exist, you know, three years ago when, when those pictures were taken. And yet recently dumping photos in there and allowed to do that. So I think that, that, that notion of, you know, really prepping kids to understand what you're exchanging. But they also say, you know, I, I know they store all this stuff on me and I'm willing to make that sacrifice because I like the tool or I find the tool of value. And I think that's the important piece of, of, of this that, that we can't get lost on. Uh, I'm going to toss out Peggy's uh, question that she put in the chat to you guys about how do you handle a parent that would choose to opt their student out from Google Apps. Uh, I don't think we face that at our school. <clears throat> but I want to add kind of a lens to this article as far as schools. You know, this article is pointing to how mobile is ascendant. And yep. we still have many classrooms and schools that are essentially trying to fight the tide and keep the, keep the mobile devices out, you know, and not, not embrace them. And I think that as teachers, we need to be um, exploring the ways that blended learning can, can make learning more powerful and provide more options for students and, and, and be used constructively, uh, using a mobile friendly website as a launching point for, uh, for lessons. My wife is actually using her Chromebook here in the other room. Our governor of Oklahoma is visiting her school in her classroom tomorrow. And so she's got, you know, their kids are always doing stuff, but they're doing different activities about the elections and she's putting stuff on her website. I don't know. I think that is an implication of this as well. We can debate the privacy things and, and, and make choices about what we're going to do and what our, our schools are going to do. I think maybe in our first or second episode, I mentioned a local district here in Oklahoma that board had decided not to do Google apps because of concerns over privacy and that Google was going to be, you know, harvesting the information of children and exploiting them. And I think that was the fear. There's that whole side of this, but but there's also just the side of are we continuing to embrace mobile and to see the the incredibly powerful ways. I mean, I've I've said this to my students and and probably said it to my my kids, you know, this week. Like, they're gonna laugh at how childishly weak the iPhone six was, you know, in ten years. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna seem like you use that slow thing, and so. Living in the elbow of exponential change with, you know, yes, we still have bandwidth challenges. No, no, not everyone has an iPhone 6. Anyway, I think we just got to, we need to be embracing mobile. And lots of folks are not doing that. And this article kind of points points to that. Yep. Any final thoughts, Ben? Um, I got to say that uh, this this conversation is happening in so many districts very differently. Than it is happening in in some of the folks that are are leading the charge um, for for using uh, open tools, and I do think that there is going to be um, a lot of swings of the pendulum and backlashes against uh, using tools. Um, and I also see people using it in a political stance. Um, and 
I think it's really important that we communicate as much as we possibly can, uh, about what the legal requirements are and what we are asking of our students um, and how many different apps are, are um, you know, being used, being used uh, across our schools um, and just being as transparent as we possibly can. Um, one of the things that, uh, that our district did that uh, I'm, uh, and again, this is to, to Kirk Anderson and his leadership, but um, created a uh, academic technology menu. Um, and I'll, I'll put the link in, but uh, essentially saying, you know, what are uh, all of the tools that have been uh, both approved and recommended uh, for use within our district um, and which ones have um which ones have uh, sort of purple blessing, which ones have um, different aspects. Um, and so it's like our own mini graphite, uh, but like with things that are being used across the district and you can request that other ones be reviewed by curriculum instruction and, and different folks. Um, so it's just a really good way of, of sort of saying, okay, so let's be transparent about all of our decisions. Um, so anyway, that that's sort of my last thought about it. Great. Thanks. Okay, Wes, why don't you pick topic number two? Okay, uh, th- before I say the topic, I, that reminds me, and maybe Jason, we can do this, her as a guest. Two years ago at the Miami Device Conference down in uh, Coconut Grove, Florida, <clears throat> I met someone who I know I can find through email and tweets that I sent who had done a ton of research about FERPA, and I'd, I'd like to become more enlightened about that and, and about these issues. So maybe we can, we can actually have a guest on. Um, my article I'd like to do, um, is about the return of our mission crew from the ISS. Uh, Scott Kelly has been in space almost an entire year, like 340 days. So I dropped a link in from NASA off the earth for the earth. Uh, veteran station crew returns to earth after historic mission. I mentioned this, I think, last week as my geek of the week. So I have an Apple TV, full disclosure. Okay, I'm the technology director. We need projection in my office. So I have a 55-inch television on the wall uh, with an Apple TV. Um, You know, it it was also $400 at Best Buy. So this was a lot cheaper than, you know, getting a projector. And we use it all the time, you know, for meetings to airplay and throw stuff up there. My favorite thing to have on there is the live view of the ISS. Well, that same app, you can watch Apple TV or sorry, NASA TV. And so I turned on and they had some videos rolling today that showed them in the space station before they left, uh, showed them coming down, you know, uh, in the Soyuz capsule, uh, right after they had landed, they were, you know, it's freezing in Kazakh, the middle of Kazakhstan and, um, you know, then had the, the debrief as they're talking. And I, I've been a STEM teacher the last two years, right? So one of my main personal goals was to try to get kids fired up and excited about science and technology and what better way to focus on uh, on space and on space travel. One of the things I think that we should be doing with educational technology is bringing in engaging live content and um, – it's just pretty amazing to have, you know, access to this kind of stuff. You get this off of the web too. You don't have to have an Apple TV and, and be all fancy to do it. But, um, it, it just reminds me how amazing it is that we have this space station going over, going around our planet, you know, passing over our cities. Um, and, uh, you know, and we've got Elon Musk and other folks who are, are working hard to commercialize space and to make us a multi-planetary species. Uh, so I'm just really excited about this, and I also think that 
amidst the election and you know all of course it was super tuesday yesterday um all the all the other stuff that's going on there's plenty of and there's negative right there's privacy and all of this stuff there's a lot of really awesome stuff happening and we we shouldn't underestimate the importance of getting getting you know students really fired up and engaged and excited about um, science and about technology and about space and all those kind of stuff. So I think Ben is kind of flickering in and out. So hopefully he'll be able yep. to yeah. join Come again. There we go. Okay. He's back. Or joining again. It's funny because yeah, the tool I, set. I'm not blaming you, honey. My wife is defending herself saying we're not streaming. <laughs> <laughs> not my family's fault. <laughs> One of the interesting things about Blab is that this this uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, host interface keeps kind of adapting a little bit week by week. So, like a Google Hangout, hey, it's all different. Get ready to. Yeah, you can tell the tools and data. Um, let me add a quick thought about that. I love the notion also of, of, of live content being more available, and, and there's been a lot of talk in the last uh, two or three years about where. You know, our massive screen everywhere technology is that appeared on, on kind of futurist, uh, renditions of what the, the future would look like. We're, you know, apparently in that future now and there still isn't kind of the ubiquitous screen everywhere that, uh, uh, I think people had envisioned. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, I, and I, and for me, it used to be, uh, showing a, a live webcam video in, uh, the, the first days of my classroom 20 years ago. See that, you, see that, me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or uh, I used to use the Statue of Liberty live cam occasionally uh, to help make make points on things on days we were talking about things like immigration history. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't more. And um, you know, I, I think the, the space stories are inspiring, and especially the Scott uh, Kelly story regarding the fact that the reason why it's there is to like he could be the the, the first research that a decade to now could lead to a deep space mission, a Mars mission, uh, something to. Um, uh, something to, to, you know, really inspire the imagination the same way that the Apollo missions did in the sixties. And, um, I'm also kind of a geek dreamer. So for me, the, um, that, that for me could be this, the spark that really does, um, you know, spark the spem, the, the stem revolution, you know, the spem resolution, um, this, this, the stem re- revolution that I think that, uh, a lot of people have been advocating for and, and, and we, we may or may not be on the verge of. So. Reactions been to the exciting NASA news. So um, I'm <laughs> not someone who gets as excited about uh, about uh, NASA news, um, mostly because I I care far too much about the technology uh, that we have here on Earth. Uh, I am glad that some that that folks really care deeply and passionately about it, and I am glad that uh, folks are getting inspired and continue to be inspired as kids. Um, uh, but I think it, it takes a whole bunch of different kinds of folks to send up a, a team into, into space. And it's not just the astronauts and the uh, rocket engineers. It's the people who can make the things, the tools that the astronauts can use. Right. Um, and I think that's what I get most excited about is like, what are the tools that are in their hands that they can do cool things with? Um, and how do kids start thinking about like solving real problems um, that like NASA astronauts have to solve up in space, but doing that at home and solving real world problems to me is what sort of uh, the this sort of STEM revolution or whatever you want to call it is all about um, rather than looking at 
you know, having to solve the problem of like visiting Mars. Like that's a way too big of a problem. We need to solve smaller problems and and make it a little bit more um, realistic for for kids to to find their entry point. And and that reminds me, and I'll add to that the whole biology biology connection. You know. Um, the reason why uh, this was kind of so significant as far as, well, one of the reasons for the time was that Scott Kelly has a twin and uh, studying, you know, him and taking blood samples and saliva and all these other things, you know, at the same time, it's fascinating the way that STEM is intersecting with biology. I'm continuing to listen to the, the Pentagon's brain by Annie Jacobson, which is the history of uncensored history of DARPA and, you know, DARPA, the defense research, advanced research agency, whatever, um, you know, through the Vietnam War and stuff, they really weren't into biological stuff, and now they really are. And <clears throat> the whole thing about, you know, biology and genetics and the ways that this is intersecting with our lives, choices that parents are going to be making about children and uh, the ways diseases are going to be cured. My, my son, who's a high school senior, which, by the way, I don't know if I told you, Ben, but he got into School of Mines. Uh, we're waiting for the, the oh, we're waiting awesome. for the Air Force ROTC uh, announcement, and if he got a really good one, then yeah, he could he could do that. Um, but That's but he's also guess. interested in chemistry and and biology, and like at OU, they've got a new center for doing that. So um, there are there are it, I mean, there's always been these things, and these get you know. Amplified by the space program. Look, we have Velcro because we spent billions of dollars to send, you know, astronauts into space. Uh, there's a, there's other things that we have. Freeze dried ice cream that we can all enjoy every day. Um, there's other things, but anyway, that, the, the biology connection. And it's true. It needs to, need, 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 need to bring it home to how it, how, what can we build and make right now that will, you know, relate to our lives, not just things that we get to see, but good stuff. So Ben, we didn't give you uh, prep time to uh, prepare as far as a um, an article, so we won't necessarily put you on the spot. But I'm, I will go ahead and share the Google Doc with you because here, probably about ten minutes to go, we'll do a, a geek of the week, and so that if there's something that you want to to share when we get to that point, you pardon me, you can feel free to do that. Yep, I will. I can do both oh. if you'd like. All right. Well, sounds good. Yeah, do you want to talk? You want to toss an article out? Or, or just um, so I'll uh, yeah so one of the things that I've been uh, actually really excited about that came out uh, I think today um, is the the new report uh, from Ed Surge um, uh, that uh, it's essentially like the state of ed tech um, and it is the only uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say the only truly interactive white paper I have ever come across. Um, and so here's uh, the the link. And then when I pull up the doc uh, in an edited version, I will uh, pop it in there myself. Um, but if you go there and, and take a look at it, the, the state of ed tech, it actually walks you through. Um, and they, they only have one chapter of it thus far. Um, but it's sort of a, a live uh, experience where it talks through sort of the most important ed tech trends of 2016 oh. and it labels them. Um, but then you can actually interact with it and say what role you are. So if you're an administrator, it will change like what people think are the most important trends. If you're a teacher, it'll change the most important trends. Um, and as you dig deeper, you can actually provide feedback to the, 
uh, to the, the, the white paper or the information so that the data actually changes by people what? reading it. Um, which is, is like the craziest, most amazing idea for me of, of like how to publish an interactive article and like have it be real and live for people. Um, so, uh, anyway, I'm, I feel like it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, approach. They have also embedded into it, uh, timeline.js. Um, if you've ever used that tool, but essentially timeline.js allows you to use a, a Google spreadsheet to visualize uh, a long timeline. And there's like a timeline for each one of the, the different ed tech trends. Um, so I've been playing around with the, this a lot today. And so I don't know if you have initial thoughts about it, but uh, it's something that I feel like if we were doing more of this and not just like making PDFs and stuff, um, <laughs> we would be. In a lot better <laughs> um, well, I mean, wow, that's, this is, this is amazing. And the, the best part about it is, is that um, it appears that it may actually, you know, that like, for example, they're collecting data in the report to report in the report. Yes. So it may change yes. over time based on what you've, prioritize, which is extraordinary to me. Um, cause that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's one of a kind. Um, so the first observation I would have about just the data here is that if you go, um, they, they break down the most important ed tech trends of 2016. And if you look at people that I self-identify as teachers, administrators, entrepreneurs, investors, um, and other that there is a, uh, there's obviously some spikes in, in, uh, uh, pieces, but overall it's, it's pretty similar. So that, that, for example, data privacy seems to take it on the chin, um, with, uh, uh, most, most individuals as the lowest, um, important trend, um, in 2016. And that, that's consistent across while things like learning models, um, takes, uh, um, an importance in, um, most of the uh, constituencies here. But yeah, that's a fascinating way to report data. Well, and this reminds me, and I, I, I think I remember sharing this and then tweeting to you, Jason. This was a couple of years ago when National Geographic came out with their iPad app. You know, that was like, yeah. this is the future of journalism, you know, because all these interactive features, timeline stuff, you can drag live content if you were connected to the web. I mean, it's still, I mean, Flip, Flipboard is amazing. The National Geographic, uh, uh, magazine is a, is pretty amazing. And, and I, I totally agree that, I mean, we kind of live in our past, and so we think PDFs and, you know, in higher ed, people are still excited about publishing in journals that really, you know, sometimes 10 people read uh, that, that, you know, are behind walled gardens. A few things frustrate me more than, you know, tweeted links. Or We were at an, at an ed camp a couple weeks ago, and <clears throat> someone had this article on digital citizenship, but, oh, it was behind a paywall, and nobody could access it, uh, and it was a PDF. So I'm excited to check this out and um a, an educational lens for this overall thinking about articles and publishing is to try and find ways to encourage uh folks to not only consume sort of on the edge of what's possible with media whether that's the national geographic app or you know this article you know but how can we create on the edge and i i love that timeline i haven't i haven't played with that with uh the timeline js and and that kind of stuff but it's Love that. And I just, that's to a transformative point where you're looking at, at data and you're seeing things and it's, um, I don't know if it's multidimensional, but it's just, it's not a static look, you know, you're, you're able to, to actually interact with it and perhaps query it and ask it questions and, 
<laughs> and pretty soon we will. We'll be saying, hey, Siri, you know, be talking to our article, you know, getting more information. We ought to have a bunch of kids on and, and have them tell us about the questions they ask Siri. We could have my my uh, 12-year-old on and do that. I mean, it's amazing. So, what- Wes, did I tell you that, that Siri is my, my, my now proposed or, or likely to be proposed doctoral study? I think I saw maybe a tweet or something about that, but now I hadn't heard the details. So yeah, I'm going to be working with a, a, a middle school in probably this fall is when we'll do the research. But we're going to introduce um, we're going to introduce direct instruction on how to utilize uh, series more kind of informational uh, uh, aspects, and then observe over time to see if students utilize it to um, try to. And we're we're working on some kind of. Uh, uh, interesting uh, looks at uh, uh, re- reflective versus impulsive learners. So we're trying to empower more impulsive learners to, you know, kind of move, have forward-moving learning by using tools like Siri to help answer questions they may have, as opposed to relying on instructors. So that is awesome. Um, uh, it could be amazing. A, a, a relevant dissertation that. I may want to read. Um, Peggy George just put into the chat. Uh, she learned last week you can upload a PDF to Evernote. Um, the text isn't searchable, but if you upload it as a JPEG, it is searchable. That's kind of interesting. Wow. And then uh, also about Siri that you can dictate writing and it'll convert to text. Yeah, I do that all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm. And then the, here's the Siri thing I've, uh, I've learned. You can say, roll a five-sided dice. Roll a five-sided dice. Why would it be two and five? That's weird. Anyway, you can get Siri to roll dice for you. Whatever. That's that's not that we're we're going we're going to go down a rabbit hole. So sorry, I'll stop now. Did you want to talk about the uh, the touchscreen laptops article? Did you drop that one in, Jason? I did drop that one in. Um, so. I'll admit that part of the discussion I want to have here is related to, who, to whether or not maybe the panel finds them useful. But it's a pretty great article in the show notes um, from the How To Geek. That's one of my go-to uh, uh, daily reads that argues that that touch has finally evolved past kind of crap. Is the the bottom line that it's 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 now a useful phenomenon. I specifically talk about Windows 10, which is true. It, Windows 10 is an infinitely better interface for touch than any of uh, previous versions of Windows. Um, and then, of course, you know, the tablet and smartphone um, revolution have obviously brought touch to the forefront of, of ways we, we use interface. But I guess the question I have is that, um, you know, is, is touch really just useful in context of a tablet or a phone? Or has touch matured to a point to where it can be a useful part of laptop environment. Um, and I can tell you, having used a touch laptop, a Windows 10 touch laptop in, in the last year, um, it's not my go-to interface, to be honest. Um, partly because, and this is a really dorky reason, is because I can't stand the fingerprints on my monitor, so I tend to keep it fairly pristine, um, and, um, you know, touching it you know, gets the monitor all gummy, and that, that drives me a little crazy. It, it drives me a little crazy on my iPad, too, so I suppose that's a um, you know, part of the phenomenon too, but, um, should we be looking to finally prioritizing, uh, touch in a classroom, um, beyond, um, just the tablet and the, um, uh, the smartphone? And more importantly, is it worth the expense? Um, good touch experiences can sometimes add 50% or more of cost to the hardware. Is it 
mature enough or necessary enough or useful enough to, um, uh, you know, make it part of our, our, our purchasing uh, process. Uh, ben, let's start with you this time. Uh, yeah, so I've played around uh, mostly with the uh, uh, Lenovo uh, Yoga Chromebook. That's the touch-based uh, Chromebook uh, and laptop that I have used. Uh, I find that uh, it is... It is not super useful. Uh, it just isn't. Uh, I, I, on occasion, um, it is nice to, you know, flip it around backwards and have it be just the, the touch, but it does not make any sense to me when you have a keyboard and an, and a, uh, pointing device, uh, to, to use it. Uh, I, if I want to use my fingers, I will use a, you know, use an iPad or something that really allows you to, to dig into the, the touch elements of it. Um, uh, you know, but I, I, I don't know if I'm an outlier or not because, uh, you know, I am very much a, a power user and I want to do things to their max, you know, and I want to be a keyboard to the max and mouse. Like I, I want to use all mouse of the things. Um, and I, right. But I mean, like, I, I want to, you know, that I, I only, now I only use full screen apps, um, and swipe between them and have side by side. Like that's the only thing that I am doing on uh, a computer now. I, I do not use Windows. Like this is, this is, this is where, so I want everything to be like an iPad experience. Um, and I want it to be something that, uh, that allows for that single tasking or maybe two tasks side by side because the distraction isn't there. Like having more inputs is not helping that equation. Like having the ability to touch and to do computer and like the whole thing, uh, it feels like, it feels like too much. So I'm, go- I'm gonna, take this uh, position a little bit stronger than maybe I actually feel just kind of for the sake of of debate in the panel and just say um, this is a fallacy. These are vendors who are trying to keep selling us stuff that we're not ready for and we don't need. I dropped a link into the Google Doc that's a little old. It's from from a year ago, January 2015. New interactive exhibits unveiled at Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum. $10 million dollars. It is cool, you know, it's, and I don't know, it may be the Microsoft, you know, touch tablet. It's, it's, it's a very cool table where you see an overlay of the map of, of the Murrah building and all these people and where they were right before McVeigh's bomb went off and you can tap on them and you can see their stories and all this. But it was really super expensive. I mean, we still don't have devices for every student at our at our school. And, of course, we still have debates about whether we want to have devices for every student. Um, but I, I do not think the value add is there to say, you know, every student needs an iPad Pro. Uh, however, that being said, there's amazing stuff that we are having students make with their iPads, you, you know, using the green screen. We're not going to do that with a Chromebook. Um, you know, there's, there are reasons to use those apps, but, uh, but I think, I think that the digital divide is real and we need to, especially at middle and secondary levels, you know, have devices in the hands of kids so that they can be regularly accessing as well as creating and interacting with digital content on a daily basis. And we are not going to do that at scale with touchscreens that are so expensive. So, like I said, I'm kind of saying that a little stronger than I 
might actually feel, but, but, but I'm, I do, I do track with, with that kind of a position. And it's not an anti-Apple position and it's not an anti-touchscreen position, but it's saying, let's not get overly excited because, you know, it's sort of like the ISTE boat show or the, the, that kind of thing. Like, woo, look at this. We all need to, you know, take out a loan and, and, uh, have a new bond initiative just so we can all have this interactive touch experience. Maybe not. Maybe we all need to look at, you know, some less expensive devices that we can, that we can use in really robust ways, uh, that we can provide for everyone. Cause I'm, I'm more on that bandwagon to say, you know, let's, let's get everybody an interactive screen that they can not only consume with, but create with. Um, I would add one other maybe broad thought about that is that, and I, I think I agree with both of you that, that, that I, I think you both are kind of nailing where I'm at as this as well, but it keeps going back to the proliferation of, of, uh, hardware, um, uh, specs in, in things like cell phones right now. Nobody needs an ultra HD screen on their cell phone. Nobody. There's just no reason ever to have an ultra HD screen on a phone. Um, and what that does is it eats the battery life and it, um, um, increases the price of the device and oftentimes it slows it down because the chip inside of the phone has to then push all these many, many, many pixels in order to make an image. Um, I, I would be in the market for the, uh, a cell phone that had a, a, a regular old, uh, 720p screen. I know that that's super old school now for HD, but the, the regular, um, HD phone with, um, uh, that resolution would have probably much, much, much better battery life than, um, than any, uh, any currently available, uh, high-end phone. And it would do exactly what I need to do. I don't need to watch HD video on my phone ever, ever, ever. And I think that the touch laptop is part of that. Um, I know Ben, you mentioned that, that, you know, you're a power user and you don't use touch. Um, and, and I think that's true of me as well. In fact, I'm looking at right now, I'm on a Mac laptop right now. I'm very effective on a Mac touchpad. That's, I'm very good at that. I can go from screen to screen to screen really easily. I can move things around. Um, uh, some, I think a couple of years ago, uh, Wes, when we were talking about, uh, the, uh, new gestures available on Mac, called them ninja moves, um, that you can do with a, a touchpad. I've learned enough of those to, to be effective now. And honestly, it would be uh, more time for me to reach up. And especially in, you know, if you've got, you know, one of the big iMacs, right? Like getting something across the screen, that's a, that's a, that's an appreciable amount of drag that you're, you're, you're engaging in there to make that happen. And so, yeah, I, I, I very much agree. And I still think, um, that, you know, the, the effective $300 laptop is going to be the $1,000 laptop, especially for schools. But if it's a, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's a usable product, that's going to be the $1,000 one every time. So. All right. Well, should we do geeks of the week? I guess we started a little bit late, but we may. I don't know. Do we want to do another article, or, or what do you want to do, Jason? It's your call. It's my call. Wow. There's never nothing should ever be my call. Um, let's see. Um, you know, the other one that's there is a really a, is a big one. I, I think maybe in a couple of weeks, Wes, let's have a Facebook episode. Like okay. there's that, that uh, uh, Facebook colonialism article, which I think is, is awesome, um, but probably would, would inspire a longer discussion. But I think there's some some Facebook uh, topics we could gather together in one super Facebook episode. We will uh, we'll invite Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I know that he wants to be on our show. We'll see if the Zuck has time to to uh, join us for for an episode. So, uh, Wes, why don't you start with your Geek of the Week? 
Okay, sounds good. Um, so I, I'm, it's always hard for me to pick one, so I did two. Um, I just learned tonight, the guy I'm uh, working with at church, we're, we're teaching third grade, is a drone maniac. He has like six drones and all these remote control cars. And so he brought <clears throat> the uh, Horizon Blade Inductrix drone, $50. I put the link on there. Really small, just fits in your hand, uh, remote control. And, uh, actually he kind of crashed it in one of the, one of the, it, it, it has the four spinning, um, you know, uh, lifts or what I should know a technical term for this. Uh, but it, but it's pretty sweet and it has the, the front headlight and the, the rear tail light. And, uh, I have inherited at school a, a thousand dollar drone with a, with a GoPro, which I need to learn to fly. So anyway, that, that was cool and, uh, something that I'm gonna probably challenge my wife to add to her Amazon wish list for school for her maker studio and, uh, think about, you know, her kids because it, it, it is just really small and it's, uh, something that, you know, if it does break or, or something happens to it, it's not like the, the AR parrot that's $300 or, or whatever. So that, that is cool. And then the second thing, um, I actually just helped my wife use tonight. She is a PBS digital innovator and they are, she's on the team evaluating the applications which is in this massive Google spreadsheet. And if you've ever had to, you know, kind of try to sort through a huge spreadsheet with all these different fields that have come in from a form, um, there is a free Google add-on called Save as Doc. And what that does is basically just take the data from your spreadsheet and throw it into a doc and make it a little easier to read as you scroll down a document. So that might be helpful for some other folks. Great. Thanks, Wes. Ben, what do you have to share with us this week? So uh, I've got four. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to go along with the theme of um, of a, a Google Sheets add-on or form add-on. Uh, it's Form Recycler. It came out last week, I think. Um, and what it lets you do is if you are, are tired of like copying over an entire form and you just want to copy a few questions over or you want to reuse questions from an old form, um, and like combine three or four different forms or things like that, um, this lets you grab questions from another, uh, form that already exists, um, and, and put them into the new form that you are working on. Um, the second one is, uh, Freshback Mac. Um, and this is sort of my favorite, uh, Mac based, uh, thing of probably the last, uh, couple of years. Uh, it's a very small application that essentially lets you, uh, refresh your desktop background using, uh, open images. Uh, so you can have public domain images from, uh, uh, from Wikipedia, which is what I use. Um, so art from Wikipedia and at every, you can set the time interval, but I set it for every five minutes, I get a new piece of art, um, which is just awesome. Um, and you can do unsplash and pixabay and other, um, uh, uh, pictures that have been fully licensed. And if you like one, you can download it. Um, so it's just a really nice way of like integrating art into your, um, daily workflow, um, and having something that inspires you throughout the day. Um, third one is Wirecast Go, um, which is, uh, the only, uh, iOS app that I have found that lets you stream, uh, a live event to YouTube. Nice. Um, and so you can, rather than, 
having to open up a hangout on air or something like that on your desktop. It lets you, uh, stream uh, a video. And even more than that, it lets you add two additional picture layers. Um, so you can actually have something you're like pointing to or, uh, uh, an image, a diagram that you're talking about, um, while you're doing live streaming. Um, from your phone or from your iPad. Um, Wirecast as like a, an application, I'm getting deeper and deeper into uh, that kind of uh, webcasting. And it's just an amazing uh, platform that allows you to use the, the new YouTube events rather than just using a, a Hangout on air. Um, and then the last one I did just for you, Wes, um, I don't know if you've played around with a magical mind at all, um, but it's a, uh, a GitHub project that lets you run your own pocket edition Minecraft what? servers. Um, and you, uh, yeah, so you can create your own pocket edition Minecraft servers so that anything that is done within your server can be saved and you can, um, have, uh, as many people on that server as you want to, uh, and you could set the limit as high as you want. Um, but you can have like a hundred people on a pocket edition server rather than like just a few. Um, and you can ha- enable, you know, external connections, uh, through port forwarding so that people can actually connect to your mobile or your pocket edition Minecraft server, uh, from anywhere. So, okay, so I'm pushing you over 300 props for that alone. So you've just you've, you just maxed out. Okay, so and are you are you saying for clarification, I would run that on like my a Mac laptop at home, but then my daughter and I yep. on the internet and other places could together be on a Pocket Edition server. Correct. You've just, you've, um, and so I've you've tested this out. My mind. So thank you. So that was just for you, because I know that that's, that's how you guys play, but we're a big Minecraft household. And when I saw that, I was like, you are crazy. Like, that is awesome. nuts bananas. Awesome. Well, I, the first three I'm going to use right now, like when we're done tonight, and especially the former cycler, I use Google Forms all the time, and it's it, the interface could use a little bit exactly. of love, and that's the kind of love it needs. So there it is. Ben, we're going to double your uh, associate's payout for tonight. So here it is. I'm giving ah, it to you right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll add the last one for this week. And um, uh, for some reason, the, the last couple of weeks, mine's, mine's always been about buying stuff. But here's more stuff you could go buy on the Internet for fun. Um, one of the things I love to do is to, um, to get a deal on something and where I get most of my tech deals is from the daily newsletter that Lifehacker puts out called Deal Hacker. I'm a huge Lifehacker fan. I have been, um, since Gina Trapani started the blog, um, you know, 15 years ago. But for me, um, they, they've been moving in some different directions lately. One of them is they have a commerce team that, that, that sniffs out deals on things. <laughs> I don't buy anything. <laughs> Until I choke on my own spit first. Would you like us to cover for you for a moment while you grab a glass uh, of water? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, <laughs> folks, the show is live. So um, I, don't, I don't buy anything un- until I wait for a day or two on the Deal Hacker newsletter every morning because it almost inevitably is, is going to be on sale from somewhere. So as an example, that I wanted to buy a quick charger, a uh, charging block, because I didn't know until a couple of days ago that my, my current phone has quick charging capability on it. I've never really used that before. Um, sure enough, um, you know, a, a day or two after I decided I wanted one, there was on sale that uh, a, a great quality one that would have 
retail for over $25 was down to like $8.99 or something with a coupon code on Deal Hacker. And it's a great place to find you know, if you're looking for cheap SD cards, if you're looking for uh, cheap hard drives or cheap portable USB drives, or you want a, 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 an extra monitor, that's the place to go to find um, cheap stuff um, and with a kind of a techie bend on it. So that's Deal Hacker on the very excellent Lifehacker blog. That is awesome. All right. Well, it is the top of the hour. We've survived another show. We need to figure out, and maybe Peggy George can tell us, because the last few times, Peggy, I think we've started, <clears throat> and then the show's like end, and we've had to recreate. So maybe we'll do some some homework and figure that out. Ben, we're definitely going to invite you back. Join us anytime. Now, in two weeks, I will be in Brazil, <laughs> and I will make no guarantees about my bandwidth. I will right. be, I'll be attempting to uh, avoid all mosquitoes and the Zika virus. So, right. I'm not probably going to be able to web, you know, join the webcast from there. But I don't know. I mean, if we want, are you good in, in two weeks, Jason? What's your? I'm good in two weeks. Well, I may. There's a long story about that that I'll tell you offline sometime about my my travel schedule this month. I may or may not go be good next Wednesday because it's the day before my wife's birthday. So. Oh no, yeah, no, let's, we can, we can, we can forego. So we may be at a hiatus then for two weeks, but, um, I don't know. Let's, let's give it a shot. I'll have to, I'll check my schedule and see, but it would be kind of cool to, to tune in from Brazil. So I'll just have to check the time zone stuff and see if that can work, but we can officially be off, be off next week. So for those of you that are downloading this in a podcast form, this is the EdTech Situation Room. You can find past episodes and subscribe at our website, edtechsr.com. We are edtechsr on Twitter. Um, and my name is Jason Neifer. I'm on Twitter as Tech Savvy Teach. And I also uh, work on the social media for NCCE or NCC underscore edtech. Question about you? Oh, okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at W Fryer. I blog at speedofcreativity.org. And, um, my main contribution to the EdTech world for the past few years has been the show with media site, showwithmedia.com. And, um, my wife and I are working on a new project called Inside and Outside Sharing, which should be a new book ready for ISTE and I will not tweet this because it's like we've only written a little bit but that digital sharing site the digitalsharing.org if you go to inside inside outside.digitalsharing.org we're using comment press which is a free awesome plugin by future of the book for WordPress that lets you do uh, paragraph by paragraph commenting and we are kind of writing it live on that spot so that's more than I needed to say awesome Ben how about you where can we find you online? Uh, so I'm at uh, BH Wolkoff. Uh, thank you, Peggy, for for putting the link in there. Um, and uh, I blog at learningischange.com. Uh, and um, I appreciate you letting me join in my PJs. Uh, and uh, happy to happy to do it any time of it. And you guys have to make sure you subscribe to Ben on YouTube because. Uh, Ask Ben W is, uh, one of my, you know, YouTube gives you your most recommended and it, it's popping up on my Apple TV all the time there. So I'm seeing his new episodes. So you gotta check that out. Dude. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, you gotta check out the last one cause it's got, I'm using the Wirecast Go app and it's got a picture of a cat being really surprised. <laughs> nice. Um, well, unfortunately Jason wasn't at home That's for funny. his cat. Normally we, we, we invite all of our guests to uh, bring their animals into the show. They can, so we'll we'll have to do we'll have to do that next time with with higher bandwidth for Jason. 
So great. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another amazing episode of the EdTech Situation Room with your hosts Jason and Wes. Remember to subscribe to us on Twitter and Blab, and access episode show notes on edtechsr.com, slash links. Content on the EdTech Situation Room is shared under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. Subscribe to our audio podcast feed in your favorite mobile podcatcher app, and check out our archived show videos on YouTube, the EdTech Situation Room where technology news meets educational analysis.